Good morning, everyone. My name is Bumsa Walang, and our scripture for today comes from Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we are finishing up a series today that we've been in, uh, that we've been calling Man is Dead. And we've been talking about what life is like in a secular age, and particularly how do we as Christians live in a secular age. Now, the age we live in is in large part, especially here in the United States, is not necessarily confessionally secular, meaning that most people you would talk to, if you said, do you believe in God? They would say, yeah, I believe in God. It's not, it's not predominantly confessionally secular, but it is instinctively secular or functionally secular, meaning that the presence of God, the transcendence of God, the, the reality of God doesn't frame uh, a lot of the decisions and choices and thought life that people have. As Nietzsche famously said, God is dead and we have killed him. And what Nietzsche was saying there is that in an age of modernity, and I'm going to use that word today, modernity or enlightenment, um, kind of interchangeably, or an age of reason, and I would define modernity as an age of human achievement, right? The age of human achievement. In the age of human achievement, we don't really need God, right? We have killed God. We've, we've made such a name for ourselves that we don't really need God. Now, in an age like that, though, if there is no God, then there is no received identity. There's no received value. So as Christians, we know we've been made by God, that we have an identity, that we have a purpose that God has given to us, that there is accountability back to a creator who has made us for a purpose at the end of our lives. But if you remove all that, if you remove God, you're still made in the image of God and, and, and you still have these impulses and instincts to want your life to have meaning and value and purpose. You wanna know that your life counts, but if there's no God, if none of that's been assigned to you, then you have to go out and figure out what those things are all by yourself. Now, at first that seems amazing, right? I get to go create my own way, figure out my own purpose. But as we've discovered, this era this age of this secular age has left us confused and lost and afraid and more divided than we've ever been before. And people have to go out and find an identity. We've used that word identity. Another word I like to kind of use is the Greek word zoe. Um, some of y'all have heard me talk about this. There's two Greek words for the word life. One is bios, which means like something that's living, something that's alive. And then the other is Zoe. And this is kind of, if you said, man, get a life. Or if you said, um, man, I wanna live the good life, right? You're, you're talking about Zoe there. It's this identity, this purpose. My life has value. My life has an end to it. It has meaning. I have a Zoe in life. And, and people have gone out to try to find an identity or a Zoe. And one of the places that they've looked, one of the places, especially in a city like Atlanta, where people commonly look for that is their work. So this is a very important thing to talk about today. Now, I wanna say this as we get going. 
we're in a moment. And when I say we're in a moment, like we're right now in a moment where the way that people think about work, uh, the, the value that work has in people's lives is, is literally changing before our eyes. So this sermon might like look a little different even in five years, but uh, I wanna kind of speak to that a little bit today. So there's a, there's a lot we have to cover, but I wanna try to do it in two points. First, why we work, and then secondly, how we work. And this Colossians passage that Bumps are read uh, tells us a lot about the, these things. And I also wanna kind of dip back into God's created order back in the book of Genesis. But why do we work or why do we not work? So in modernity, the modern era, okay, the age of enlightenment, as I said, human achievement, I would define it as human achievement, right? We've achieved, we've been successful, we're reasonable people, we're smart people. We've discovered the whole world, we've invented things, we understand science, we've achieved all these things. There's a lot of streams that kind of make up the modern impulse or the kind of modern mindset or the modern narrative, I think is a helpful word. But one of those streams is evolutionary thought. And the, the kind of key the driving force of evolutionary thought, and I think this is helpful, is survival of the fittest, right? How does evolution work? Survival of the fittest, right? That's the driving force. And so that's, that's infused in a modern worldview, in a modern mindset, which is why this is the age of achievement, right? If only the fittest survive, then you have to be the fittest. You have to be the best. You have to be the biggest. You have to be the strongest. In a modern age, in an age like that, work all of a sudden is very interesting. It's very inviting. It can become an ultimate thing in people's lives very quickly because it promises so much. And it's very easy in a modern age for work to become an idol. Now, if you're kind of new to the church or new to Christianity, when, when we talk about idols or idol worship, we're, we're probably not using the traditional thing that may come to your mind where there's like little statues that we're worshiping. Uh, Christians talk about idols in this way, that an idol is something that has become ultimate in your life, something other than God that has become ultimate, that has become the driving force in your life. Now, here's the thing about idols. An idol can be a bad thing, right? So to some people, like cocaine is an idol and it's a driving force in their life and they think about it all the time and they're willing to forfeit their family and friends and job and everything because of an addiction to cocaine. But, but idols can also be really good things. The work, for example, is a really good thing. It is celebrated. It is part of our design. We're gonna talk about it here in a little bit. But it's not an ultimate thing. It was never meant to be ultimate in your life. It was never meant to be foundational in your life. And these kind of idols are oftentimes the sneakiest, the scariest, the good idols. It's very easy for work to become an idol in your life because it promises you so much. It, it pays you money. It gives you a claim. It gives you a sense of purpose. It gives you a sense of success. So work can promise you all of these things and very easily can become the driving force in your life. And here's the deal. Idols always start this way. Idols always come to you and say, here's how I can serve you. Here's how I can serve you. But in idol worship, you always end up serving the idol. <laughs> they end up having this way of grabbing a hold of you, of, of, of enslaving you, of capturing you. So is work an idol in your life? Is your work become ultimate 
in your life, the foundational thing in your life? Is it what you depend on or do you depend on the Lord? And some diagnostic questions that I think are just helpful to ask yourself from time to time. First, do your waking thoughts go more towards your work or more towards the Lord? What's the first thing you think about when you wake up? What do I gotta do today? What's work demand of me today? That could be evidence that, that work has become ultimate. When you think about who is providing for you, when you think about provision, where, from where will your help come? From where will your provision come? Is it, is it more work that comes to your mind or your boss or your company? Or do you think more about the Lord? How about this? Have you said no to work recently? Right? Work is asked something you said no because you wanted to say yes to the Lord. And then finally, can you rest? Can you turn it off? Does it so have a hold of you that you can never break away from it? An idol is anything other than God. Anything other than God has become the ultimate driving force in your life. And in a modern era, again, I'm defining a modern era, the era of human achievement, work is a very powerful idol. Work can grab us very quickly. Now, we're in an age right now, kind of in the West, where modernity is giving way to post-modernity. You've, you've probably heard like these terms before. And in this shift that's happened, and I would define, if I define modernity as an age of human achievement, I'll define post-modernity as an age of human experience, right? And so there's some difference there. Post-modernity is an age of human experience rather than achieving things, just experiencing humanity. Now, work has lagged behind in this kind of fundamental philosophical shift in our culture because work is so practical, right? It, it's hard to think about human experience just in, you know, in an age of work, especially a capitalistic society. There's practical things that, that work produces and that does. But the shift is starting. And it's really, and COVID is really the thing that's kind of pushed us over the edge on this one. It's kind of brought in post-modernity as it is related to work. There's a really interesting article, and I, and I would recommend if you're interested in these kinds of things that you read it. It's uh, from last month's edition of the New York Times Magazine called The Age of Anti-Ambition. And it's talking about the changing work culture in America. And basically the article says there's two things going on right now. First is people are experiencing burnout, right? We've been living in the modern era. We've realized that work has been an idol. It's been asking us to achieve, 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 survival of the fittest, right? You have to be the best and the biggest. And people are just tired. I mean, people are just burned out. But the other thing that people, that it, it talked about is the disillusionment with work. And, and really COVID revealed this, right? Remember in the beginning of work, or beginning of COVID, how all of our jobs got labeled essential and unessential, right? Right? And so if you had one of those unessential jobs, it's like, well, wait a second. I thought my job was important. You know, there's a passage in the article that says this thing that we filled at least eight to 10 hours of the day with, five days a week for years and decades, missed family dinners for, was it just busy work? And so I think that this, this moment, and especially with remote working and, and all the rest, it's just created this 
disillusionment with work. And so we're seeing a shift. People used to move to cities like Atlanta or New York or Chicago to go and follow the job. But now people are moving to Montana and Florida. Rather than being identified chiefly with their work, right? I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer. People are identifying more and more with their hobbies, right? They just do work to get by, but they're really a rock climber or they're really a poet or something else, even though none of those things actually pay them. They're just their leisure. So in a modern world, in the age of human achievement, in a world of survival of the fittest, people were hyper-identified with their work. But in a postmodern world, an age of self-care, an age of human experience, our understanding of work has really changed and people are actually avoiding work altogether. This is a very interesting moment. Again, I've, I've never, I've had to kind of shift how we talk about work because we're kind of moving out of the modern age. This is a very interesting moment to talk about work. So how do we as Christians think about work? And to really have this conversation and to have it well, and this is the whole series, right? We have to go back to what we've been talking about this whole series is how you were made. In fact, that's a good place to go for any conversation, right? If you have a question, it's kind of good to go back to the foundation and says, how was I made? And, and the answer that we have been giving is you were made in the image of God. God made you. God created you. He formed you with something in mind. And we've been talking about this in four ways. You've been made sacred, right? You were an eternal being that God made uh, sacred above the rest of the creation, You've been made a relational being. You can know God. And this is really where we get to what we are talking about today. You've also been made a functional being. God has given you certain functions. And the two functions we've been talking about through this series are you were called to be fruitful and multiply. And God gave us the function to do that. And we talked about that last week, particularly that's kind of pointing towards sex. And then the second thing is that you were made to take dominion over the created order, to... to to, to order, to be orderers of what God had made. And that is related to this idea of work. And in all of these things, sacred, relational, functional, we're called to represent God, to be God's representatives on earth. And, and this speaks to a really important question. Is work a good thing or a bad thing, right? Is work a part of creation or a part of the fall? Is work something that we'll be doing in the presence of God someday when we are saved from sin and have realized his kingdom fulfillment or is work something that we'll never do again? What is the answer? Now, a lot of myths, a lot of kind of origin myths, like think of the Greeks, Pandora. Remember the story of Pandora, the first uh, woman and Zeus gave her, we call it the box. I think it was actually a jar. Zeus gave her the jar and inside the jar was all the evils, decay, death, destruction. But you know what was in the jar? Work. <laughs> work was in the jar. So in, in that myth, work is only a bad thing. And it's only this bad thing that got released when Pandora opened the jar. But the Christian story, our understanding of where we came from, of who God is, is very different. The Old Testament tells us that before sin, right, before the fall, when everything was whole and good and orderly, 
when we had perfect fellowship with God, that God created the man, Genesis 2.15, he put him in the garden to work, to work and keep the garden. But actually, Christianity says something even more profound than that. It actually says that God himself is a worker. Our understanding of work is rooted in the fact that we believe that the nature of God himself is to work. God enters into work, if you will, in creation when he creates and orders the world. And we've been talking about this. He created the world out of nothing. And then he took those raw materials and he ordered them and he fashioned them and he brought to life this beautiful world. And what does he do to the humanity that he has made in his image, that he's given dominion over all of creation? What does he do? What does he tell them to do? Before sin, he puts Adam in the garden and he says, I want you to do the same thing. I want you to create. I want you to multiply. I want you to fill the earth and I want you to take dominion. I want you to order the creation. And so what does Adam do? He's a gardener. What do gardeners do? They take the raw materials of dirt and seed and water and they put them in such a way, they organize them in such a way that it produces something, that it produces this beautiful garden that's beautiful and life-giving and good. And, and really, that is what all of work is. It's taking the raw materials that God has set forward and it's organizing it such a way that is good and useful and whole and pleasing. Not many of you are gardeners professionally. Some of you may have tried. The Dees family, Paige and I, we, we've tried plants. We're no good at it, right? The garden would have failed if uh, it would have been left up to us. But, but some of you, you know, not many of you are gardeners, but some of you are teachers. And you know what a teacher does? A teacher does an amazing thing. You take subject matter, the raw material of subject matter, which, I mean, just think about it. how do you begin teaching chemistry or, or history even? I mean, there's so much there. How do, you, how do you organize that in such a way that it's understandable, that you can actually transfer knowledge? But that's what a history teacher does. They take the raw material of all this data, they figure out the key events, they organize it in such a way, they deliver it in such a way, they create assignments in such a way that the student at the end of that comes away with a better understanding of history. What an amazing thing. You took the raw materials of subject matter, you organize it in such a way that, that, that fruit is produced, that life is given. And that's really, you know, every job. Will Carlisle, uh, just released an amazing album, Hummingbird. Anybody listen to Hummingbird, the Hummingbird album yet? It's incredible, yeah. It's, 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 it's like the best thing since Let It Be. But anyway, um, um, but how do you write an album? You, you take this, the amazing raw material of a musical note. I mean, isn't that a great little raw material that the Lord made? that we live in a world with the possibility of musical notes and there's different notes, but they don't always sound good. You have to organize them, right? You have to have an orderer that takes them and that puts them in the right order. And then you take the raw material of language and word and you can create a song that has the power to bring you to tears, that has the power to make you wanna fall in love, that has the power to make you wanna worship. What an amazing way to order the things that God has set forward in this beautiful and wonderful way. This is what work is. You take the raw materials that God has created, 
You put them in order and it brings something beautiful, something good, something helpful. This is why work is so inviting. This is why we feel so alive when we work. So we work first because we work to be like God. We work, we're like God. We're doing something that God has told us to do. But second, we work because through work, God cares for his creation. God cares for his creation. How was Adam and Eve and their family going to be cared for? How were they going to eat? That's a good question. And the answer is they were going to eat through the very garden that they were working, right? They were working a garden that was actually going, their work was actually going to provide for them. They were going to be cared for by the work that they were doing. And that's the same thing that happens in work right now. I, uh, you know, I, I ate an apple yesterday, okay? I was just thinking about this. I ate an apple yesterday. I got it out of my refrigerator and it was cold and crisp. You know, those kind of apples, it's like, whoosh, you know, that first bite and just crunchy and amazing. And I was thinking like, this is amazing. It's not September. I don't live in like Maine. And yet here I am in March in Georgia eating an apple, right? That shouldn't happen. That's not natural. Apples don't normally bloom in Georgia in May or whatever this month is, March, right? Um, that shouldn't happen. But people are smart and they figured out how to make apples uh, grow all year round. They, they figured out how to, uh, somebody figured out a refrigerator, right? Which is an amazing thing. They make apples last a really long time. Somebody figured out a truck, right? They, they took all of the, the, bring apples to my house. They, 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 they took all of these raw materials. We don't have an apple delivery guy, but they take it to the store and then the store brings it to my house. But, uh, oh, oh, the apple man is here. But, uh, no, but anyway, but people figure out all this stuff. All of this is work. People taking the raw materials and organizing in such a way that creation is cared for that people can flourish. I was thinking about medicine. How amazing is medicine? You know, I have a, a friend that, that broke their femur, right? And somebody figured out how to take a steel rod, okay? Where do you even get steel from, right? Somebody figured out how to take these materials from the ground and put them together and create this metal that can now go inside your body and heal a broken, shattered femur. That is an incredible thing that we have been able to do. And, 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 and through work, through the ordering of raw materials, God is actually caring for his creation. But finally, we should work because we're commanded to work. It's a command of scripture. God has entrusted you with gifts. Even the command to rest, and I'm gonna talk about that here in a little bit, but the command, the, the Sabbath command from Exodus 20 begins this way. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord who gives us work and who gives us these raw materials on it. You should not do any work. You were made to work because God works. You were made to work because through work, God cares for his creation and he has commanded us to work. He's given us these gifts and capacities. He's entrusted these things to you that he wants to use for good purpose. 
Remember the parable of the talents in the New Testament? The master entrusts different talents to his servants and he goes away and he says, I want you to use these. I want you to put them to work. And the one guy takes his talent and he buries it in the ground. And when the master gets back, he doesn't steal it. He doesn't try to take it from the master. He just gives it back to the master. And he says, look, I, you know, I know you're a shrewd man. I don't want to lose it. And so I just, here, you can have it back. And you know what the master says to him? He doesn't say, thanks for not losing it. He doesn't say, well, you could have done a little better. He says, you're wicked. You're lazy. You've taken what I've entrusted to you and you've squandered it and you've wasted it. You know, something I've been thinking about recently is the sin of idleness. We're, we're reading through First and Second Thessalonians in our daily rhythm. And Second Thessalonians ends with this warning against idleness. When have you last heard a sermon on idleness. I was like, I mean, we don't talk about this anymore. I, uh, I am reading the book East of Eden right now, which I know you're probably supposed to read that in high school, but I didn't read it. But um, it's an amazing book. But they talk about idleness, the sin of idleness. That's a sin. To take what the Lord has entrusted to you and to waste it. This doesn't please the Lord. You were made to work, to be like God who works, who takes raw materials and makes them orderly and good and beautiful. So we find ourselves in an interesting position because on the one side you have idolatry, right? Work is everything. Work is ultimate. Work is my life. But on the other side you have idleness, which is also a sin. It's a squandering. It's a wasting of what God has entrusted. And this gets us to the second point. We've looked at why do we work, but secondly, how? How do we work? And that's where today's passage is very, very helpful. Let's look at it again. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Now, this passage gives us a few things to think about. I want to look at four things within the passage as we think about how to work. And you could say there are four looks that I think we should have, four perspectives, four areas that we should look. Two are very explicit in the passage. Two are implied in the passage. So the first thing, when you work, look up. When you work, look up. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, work comes from the Lord and work is for the Lord. We should work hard as we are working for the Lord. And when you break the paradigm that our world so finds itself in, that work is all about you, that life is all about you, when you, when you can break that paradigm and realize, no, I'm made in the image of God, I am made for God, my work, these functions that God gives me, are from him and for him. When you can break that paradigm, it's revolutionary for your life. And I'm telling you, your work will totally change. Dorothy Sayers, who wrote this wonderful little essay on work, says this, the only Christian work is good work, well done. The only Christian work is good work, well done. If you're really a Christian, if you really have this perspective, if you're looking up, then you'll do good work. Why? Because you're working for the Lord. You'll do good work because this work is meant to be done. It's meant to be done well. In the essay, Dorothy Sayers is reflecting on how people worked before 
the war. She's writing this around World War II. It's just before the war, you know what people did? They made cheap products and they sold it for a lot of money. They tried to rip people off and they didn't put any pride in their work. Their work was no good. They just wanted to make money because that's all that work was. So they were just working to make money. But she said, but during the war, we had this greater purpose. We, we believed in what we were doing. Everybody was in on the effort. And so everybody worked hard. They didn't care if they got paid. They didn't care if somebody didn't see what they did. They knew that what they were doing, the value of what they were doing had value. And you know what? If, if you really understand this, that work is from God and for God, then you'll do good work. You'll give your time to good things, right? Why are you doing what you are doing, right? Is it, is it just for money? Is it just for acclaim? Or do you actually believe in the work that you are doing? The, does the work that you are doing have value? And, and again, a lot of different jobs have enormous value. But why are you doing it? Are you accounting for the acclaim of it and for the applause of it? Are you, are you accounting because orderly financials is good. It helps people. It's pleasing to the Lord. Are you building buildings just for the acclaim of it to be a big shot builder? Or there's incredible function and care for humanity in the building of buildings. And, and because I care about people and because I care about God, I want to do this well and good and right. Christian work is this. It's good work, well done. Good work, well done. And the Lord is pleased by that. And you say, well, how do I, how do I uh, you know, how, how am I a builder as a Christian? Or how am I a, um, a, you know, maybe some of you drive a car or something like that. How do I drive an Uber car as a Christian? The answer is you do it well. <laughs> you don't crash, right? You get there safely. You, 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 you double check things. You do it right. Good work, well done. So when we work, we look up, knowing that we are working as to the Lord. Second, we look in. Now, um, this is implied in the text, whatever you are doing. We live in an age where there's a lot of freedom in what you can do. And not all of humanity has had such freedom. Uh, you know, probably most of you when you were growing up, were asked, what do you want to do when you grow up? Anybody get asked that question? You don't have to raise your hand. You all got asked that question, right? What do you want to do when you grow up, right? You know who never got asked that question? Like my great-grandfather, right? Nobody ever asked him, what are you going to do when you grow up? Because he was going to work the family farm or some people in some communities, they were going to mine because that's what that community did. Nobody had dreams, ambitions. You just did what you had to do and, 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 and there was good and order in that. We find ourselves in this place where we actually have enormous freedom, and, and there, there in that lies a gift from the Lord. My challenge in an age like this to you would be, are you working with the pleasure of God in mind? You know, there's that famous scene in Chariots of Fire, Eric Liddell, he says, you know, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. God's given you certain gifts, certain passions, things that you're concerned with. And it's very easy in an age like this to ignore that and to do things that are just profitable. Now, sometimes you have to because there's other stewardships like caring for family, but sometimes you don't really have to. I think of a guy in our church like Kevin Frazier. He was in business, wonderful guy, had a you know career out in front of him, 
He could have done whatever he wanted to, but he's like, you know what? I think I can serve the Lord the best by being a coach and a teacher. And so he did. I love that. He could have done whatever he wanted to do. But, but he, he had the pleasure of God in mind in his work. Do you have the pleasure of God in mind in your work? Are you working for the pleasure of the Lord, to serve the Lord? Are you understanding how he's made you and how he's gifted you and how he's calling you? Are you working just with, so when I say look in, I'm not talking about just self-fulfillment here. Don't, don't mistake me. I'm talking about the pleasure of the Lord. Are you working with the pleasure of the Lord in mind? The third call is to look around. And you might say, well, hold on, Jason. This is not what the text says. It says work hardly for the Lord and not for men. I'm not talking about the praise of men. I'm not talking about to impress men. I'm saying work with the good of men in mind. Work to serve your customers. Work to serve your co-workers. Christians should be the best workers. We should be the most humble. We should be the most concerned with forgiveness and self-sacrifice because we're ambassadors for the Lord. We're ultimately working for God. And I just want you to hear this. When, when we have this in mind, when, when we do good work well, knowing that we are working for others, for the good of others, you'll have enormous influence. The Lord will give you enormous influence. You know, people always say, I wish the church had more influence. And I think what people are saying in that is, I wish like pastors had more influence. I just want you to, I want to hear this. Pastors don't need more influence out there, right? Right? My, my stewardship is not out there. My stewardship is here, Right? This is where I want influence. You, you, you're my responsibility. The, the, the souls of the members of Christ's covenant, that's the, that's the folks that I'm called to, to shepherd and to care for. But listen, listen. As you, my, my hope is not in me. My hope's in you. As you scatter, all you guys are going out and you're doing good work well. And that's enormous, the potential there. Because you guys do interesting stuff. You know the only person that cares about what I do is Christians, right? A lost world that doesn't know what, they don't care about what I do. They think it's weird. But you guys do things like, one of my best friends is a heart surgeon. You wanna talk about influence? <laughs> you wanna talk about a guy you're gonna listen to? The guy's about to like cut your heart open? You, you, whatever he says, right? But, but he, got, he got that influence by, be, by doing good work, meaningful work, well. And in that, there's there's a chance to be an ambassador for the Lord. And I want you to feel that. You're about to scatter to be an ambassador for Christ. And God's given you this enormous platform of your work. Do good work well. You know, Dallas Willard said this, and we've talked about this here, but the Christian life is this. It's living your life as Jesus would live it if he were you. If you're a teacher, how would Jesus teach? If you're in sales, how would Jesus be in sales? If you're in medicine, how would Jesus be in medicine? Look up, look in, look around, and finally look forward. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord, I love this, you'll receive an inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Christ. Are you really serving the Lord Christ? That's the question. Are you working 
to serve the Lord Christ or are you just working for some inheritance that's out there, for some reward that's out there? I like to say it this way. We talked about Zoe before, this idea of life. Are you going to work to get a life or are you going to work with a life? The life that comes by being a child of God through fellowship with Jesus Christ. Are you going to work with a life or are you going to work to get a life? If you're going to work to get a life, to get an identity, to get recognition, well, guess what? You'll, you'll always push people down. You'll always cut people off. You'll be incredibly concerned with you getting credit for the work that you are doing because it's your life. They have to recognize you because how else are you gonna be known as important as you are? How else are you gonna be special? But if you go to work with a life, with a Zoe, knowing that you already have an inheritance in the Lord, you can actually go and serve other people. You can actually go and let someone else get the credit for the work that you did and be happy about it. You can actually go with other people in mind. If you go to work looking for a life, you'll work hard. But you know what? You'll work all the time. <laughs> It'll grab you. And you know what? If you do work hard, you better get that raise. And if you do work hard, you better get noticed for it. And if you do work hard, everybody that doesn't work as hard as you around there should respect you because you got there earlier and stayed later, by golly. But if you go to work with a life, with an inheritance that comes from knowing the Lord, you'll be able to work really hard. But you don't even have to be noticed by it because you know that God sees it. You don't have to be a jerk all the time, pushing people around. You can actually serve the weaker brother with compassion and kindness. You don't have to be flexing all the time how hard you work. If you go to work looking for a life, you'll never rest. You won't be able to rest. You won't be able to shut it off. Or, and this is what's really scary. I want to warn you guys about this. You'll get a big job. You get a big name because of your job. And you'll stay in this very narrow lane. You won't ever do anything else. You, know, you won't engage. You'll be a bad parent because parenting is hard and, and your kids don't give you as much praise as they do at the office. They don't thank you like they do at the office. Or you'll never try anything new. You'll never take risks because you have this big name and you got it protected. You'll never, be, you'll never do anything that you might be bad at because you've come to see yourself as what your work has told you, which is successful all the time. You'll never be able to rest. You'll never be able to break away from that. That'll be too inviting. But if you go to work with a life, you'll be able to rest. You'll be able to take a break. You'll be able to do different things. You'll be able to be vulnerable. You'll be able to try things that are hard that you might look foolish doing. If you go to work looking for a life, if something bad happens at work, if you lose your job, It'll destroy you. But if you go to work with a life, if you lose your job or something bad happens, of course you'll be sad. Of course we have real emotions, but, but you'll see, look, my help comes from the Lord. I trust, or don't, don't you see? Here's the question, who are you working for? What inheritance are you working for? What inheritance are you working for? Work is a powerful idol. But here's the return, okay? Here's, here's, if, you, if work is your idol, here's what happens. You work your whole life. You do all these things. You, you're the big shot in the company. 
and then you retire and you go back two years later and everybody's forgotten about you. They're like, who's this old guy? Or if they do remember you, they're so busy trying to get their inheritance that they're like, hey, nice to see you, Tim, but I gotta get to work. And then you get the inheritance and you know what? You get it for like the least healthy last 15 years of your life. So that's what you're working for. You're, you're working for like 15 years when you're like the least healthy to enjoy the fruit of this. Is, is that the inheritance that you're working for? Or are you working for a more lasting inheritance? An inheritance that's imperishable, an inheritance that can't be taken away. You know, one, you know another problem with our work is none of us are that good of workers. And our work can only accomplish so much. You can work really, really hard. And you know what? Will it overcome death? You know? Can you be rich enough to buy your way out of death? Can you be rich enough to buy yourself into favor with the Lord? All of your work, when you think about it in a grand scheme, is, is pretty small. But I want you to hear this good news. There is one who has worked. And, ultimate, and true work is this. It's doing what God wants you to do. And he has worked so perfectly. And he has worked so completely and so fully that his work, his life, the thing that he gave himself to has achieved a victory even over death. It has achieved an eternal inheritance. It, is a, it has achieved favor with God. And the, the amazing message of the gospel is that if you look to him, if you look to Jesus, if you trust in his work and not your own, if you trust in his righteousness and not your own, if you trust in his atoning death, which he died for the forgiveness of, of your sins because he loved you, if you trust in the power of his resurrection, which gives us the promise of union with God and not your own, and you work for him and you look to him and you live your life for him, then this inheritance is yours. Who are you working for? Who are you working for? What inheritance are you going after? Let's pray. Father, I pray for us now that we would be the kind of people They work heartily as unto the Lord, realizing that, that all of our work is ultimately small, but realizing that the, the work of Christ is perfect and full. Then as we look to him in faith, we can achieve this inheritance of fellowship with you, forgiveness of sins, communion with the Almighty Father, Lord, give us faith to believe these things. Give us hearts to turn away from small, silly idols of this world. And toward the all-surpassing greatness of knowing God. Give us this faith, Lord. Give us, give us ears to hear these things. Give us eyes to see these things. Give us hearts to believe these things. And I pray this in Jesus' name.